see some relatives or some friends. I see a lot of familiar faces in the crowd, some I haven't seen for a while, and I'm just so happy to see you. I'm happy to see my youngest grandson, Luke, right in the front row. <laughs> he, he brought his mother and father, Jeremy and Rebecca, with him today. Um, any other uh, relatives that have come from out of town that you'd like to introduce? Take a minute before we come to the preaching. Don't be shy. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Our hearts are full, and sometimes we can't find the words to express to you the depth and the extent of our gratitude. It is amazing love. How can it be that you, the living God, would die for us in our place, in our stead, taking the punishment that we deserve? burying it away at the cross, burying it in the tomb and leaving it there as you arose victorious. So meet us, Lord, today. Meet us and bring us your joy, your hope, and your peace. We ask it for your glory in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, where we work, where we live, in the church, all for you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, in case you missed it, today is Easter. <laughs> Everybody pick up on that? <laughs> I have a hunch that you know what I'm going to talk about. Uh, as one man said after uh, an Easter worship service, Pastor, you must be stuck in a rut. I only come here once a year on Easter, and it's always the same message. <laughs> well, the question is not, is the Easter message new? The question is, has it changed you yet? Has it changed the way you live yet? There's a way in which Easter holds attraction for everyone. I think it's because Easter translates into hope. There's a sense of hopelessness in the world today. If you look at the world that we're in charge of today, we've, can we talk, can we be honest? We've made a horrible mess of it. Uh, we've made enough bombs and missiles to obliterate the entire human race. We're quite effectively polluting our, our, our world. And some of the pollutants we're using have a thousand-year lifetime during which they will continue to be toxic. It's a world of hunger and violence and war. And there are lots of people who just feel trapped by their routines, by their relationships by their circumstances. When we gather here on Easter Sunday, we gather in hope. We gather to celebrate the fact that God, in raising Jesus Christ from the dead, is saying there is still hope. In this world today, there is still hope for the human race. There is still hope for individuals. That's the title of the message today. Easter means hope. It's, it's simple. Easter means hope. Our text is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, which is the last chapter of Luke. We're almost finished preaching through the Gospel of Luke. We've been there a while. Um, and in case you were wondering, somebody raised this point, yes, it will in fact have taken us just a bit longer than the earthly ministry of Jesus to preach through Luke's Gospel. 
And lest we rush to finish it here at the end, we're actually going to take a break from it the next two Sundays. I'm not kidding. (laughs) We're going to take a break for our annual mission Sunday next week and then a youth Sunday the week after that. Two great Sundays coming up. So hold on to this Easter text that we're going to read today with its Easter hope. And we'll meet up again in the Gospel of Luke in two weeks to finish it up on the road to Emmaus. With that, let's read our Easter text for today, Luke 24, the first 12 verses. This is the word of God. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found a stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna, mother the, uh, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. There's a story about a painting in which Faust is playing chess with the devil for his soul. Faust has only a few pieces left on the board and seems to be in checkmate. His countenance reveals a sense of doom. The devil, who seems to be very much in control of the board, has a look of glee on his face. Through the years, people would come into the gallery where the painting hung, look at it, and see the hopelessness of Faust's situation. And they would go away, most of them feeling to some degree that the artist had actually captured their own hopeless situation. And then one day, there came into the gallery a great chess master who stood for hours staring at the chessboard in the painting. Finally, with a shout that disturbed everyone in the gallery, the chess master said, It's a lie. The king and the knight still have moves left. I think this is what Easter is for us. We stand and we look at the chessboard of our lives and we look at our society and we look at our world and it looks like we are checkmated. It looks like the devil has us in checkmate. And then Jesus of Nazareth, whom God raised up from the dead, stands and looks at our lives and he shouts, It's a lie! You still have moves left! I guess that's what we're here for this morning this Easter morning, to think about those moves, because Easter is a word of hope. Easter is a word of hope. A risen Christ means there is still hope. It's a word with future in it. 
That life is not a dead-end street or a no-exit situation. It points to the future. A future of God's making, not ours. There is in the idea of Easter a word of presence. He is risen becomes he is here. He is not only risen, he is here. He is alive, he's here, he's present, he's with us. And and so you see what happens here. In the Easter announcement, there is a need for response. Because Easter announcements require Easter responses. Yawning, or business as usual, simply will not do when Christ is risen from the dead. This is not just ordinary celebration. It's ramped up. It calls you and me to a confession of faith that Jesus Christ truly is Lord. Lord of heaven, Lord of earth, Lord of life, Lord of death, Lord of you, Lord of me. It demands that we enter into a new way of living, not our own way and not in our own strength, but in following him. And there's a sense in which this Easter Sunday could be, just could be, for each one of us, a very special day. There are some of you for whom this ought to be the day when you confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes I know there's such a note of celebration at Easter that you wonder if it's really appropriate, that maybe it should happen at a more ordinary time. But I would say to you, could there be a better time? (laughs) Could there be a better time for a young man or a young woman or a teenager or a child or an adult who's been struggling for years with that decision to begin today your confession of faith that Jesus Christ, crucified for sinners and risen from the dead, is your Savior and Lord? Could there be a better day? There are some here who have never gone public with their faith. Some who are trying to live a Lone Ranger kind of Christian life by yourself in a world that is constantly pushing you in a different direction. Use the occasion of this Easter Sunday to say, here I stand. I am a believer in Jesus Christ, whom God raised up from the dead. He is my Lord, and I want to be part of his body, the church. No more walking through life without Jesus and his people for me. Now, in truth, Many of us have already done these things. So for us, this needs to be an Easter Sunday when there is a discovery of a new dimension of the resurrection for our lives. So let's look at the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central fact of the Christian faith. It is that crisp, hard fact of the Christian faith. This is what the early Christians remembered the most about Christ, his resurrected life. Had there been no resurrection from the dead, well, Christ as a merely historical person would have been forgotten. You would never have heard of him. His life would have been contradicted and erased by his death. I don't know if you've noticed, but the Christian faith always reads history backwards. What I mean by that is the Christian faith starts with a Christ 
who is raised up from the dead, as he said. And then goes back to his birth, and his ministry, and his message, and his death. Everything about Jesus Christ was understood by the early church in the light of his resurrection from the dead. I think one of the real taunting what-ifs in the Bible is found in the Apostle Paul's first letter uh, to the church in the city of Corinth. And we'll spend some time there today. Uh, There Paul is dealing with the resurrection. And he, he doesn't pull any punches. He begins to talk about what if Christ is not raised from the dead? What if? What if Christ is not raised from the dead? And then he goes on to say, if that's true, then our faith is in vain, the gospel is in vain, and those who have died in Christ are lost. And you can add your own what-ifs. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then, frankly, there is no church, no Bible, no faith, no hope, no meaning in life, no meaning in death. Tear it down. But Paul ends that passage with the affirmation, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And that changes everything. The risen Christ changed the lives of those to whom he appeared. That is a fact. Encountering the risen Christ is life-changing. You'll never be the same. If you want to read the earliest accounts of his appearances, you would need to turn not first to the Gospels, but to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. So let's do that. Uh, There in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes these words, beginning in verse 3, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scripture, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. If you read all the gospel accounts of the resurrection in one sitting, if you just sat down and and read the four gospel accounts, of the resurrection of Christ. You could do it in probably 15, 20, 25 minutes. And that would make you very aware of certain aspects of these appearances of the risen Christ. One is that the exact timing and location of his risen appearances vary. The gospel writers don't all record the same events. They select certain things that they emphasize. So John records Christ's first appearance at the tomb. Matthew and Luke record his first appearance later. Matthew to the two Marys on their way to tell the disciples, and Luke to the two men on the road to Emmaus. And Mark, well, Mark leaves us with this tantalizing mystery that Jesus' tomb, sealed up with a huge stone and guarded by seasoned soldiers, was empty on Easter morning except for an angel who 
who said the same thing that the angels in the empty tomb in Luke's gospel said, as we read, he is not here. He is risen. He is not here. He has risen. Another aspect is that the exact nature of the appearances of the risen Christ is not clear. For instance, he did not appear to everyone, with the exception of his appearance to Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul, and who was fighting against him, by the way. All of his other appearances are to people who were believers. Also, when he did appear, it's, it's fascinating. He was not easily recognized. We're going to see this with the two men on the road to Emmaus. They did not recognize him at first. Was it the robe and the hood? Was it twilight? Or was it something else combined with all of that? Mary actually went up to Jesus and, and didn't know who he was. She didn't recognize him at first. She, she wasn't expecting to see Jesus. She thought he was the gardener. And she said to him, if you have hidden his body, please tell me where you've hidden it. He was not easily recognized at first. After the resurrection, his appearances did not seem to be controlled by the same set of laws that controlled his body before the crucifixion. He could be there and then not be there. Uh, They could be in a room with all the doors shut and locked, and suddenly... He was in the room with them, just like that. Or on the road with them. Or by the seaside with them. So if your sense of affirmation about the resurrection of Christ comes from having a very clear, concise, put-it-in-a-box understanding of the nature of his appearances, you're in trouble. Because as you read the Gospels, you don't get that. But what you do get is the undeniable fact that those appearances were real. And they did something to those who saw Jesus alive from the dead. Encountering the risen Christ was life-changing for each one of them. A change took place in them once the risen Christ appeared to them. Now think about it. In a period of less than 50 days, what what had been a very confused and uh, disoriented bunch of former disciples was transformed into a band of people with an unshakable understanding of their message and their mission. What was once a small group of people, people so frightened for their own safety that they holed up in a locked room, they became a group of people so bold... (laughs) that they were willing to take on the very establishment that had orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. What had been a group of people who were fairly insensitive to spiritual realities. Would you, would you agree with that? This, this, this band of disciples, they were pretty insensitive to spiritual things. You remember, even as Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper, they were bickering and jockeying for position in the coming kingdom of God. They weren't really paying much attention to Jesus. (laughs) Somehow they became an unbelievably unselfish, giving and forgiving kind of people. From a people who basically had been defeated and had gone back home to what they had left, they became a movement. A movement that would sweep the world, shape the world. 
a movement in which you and I have now become caught up 2,000 years later. The transformation of those who saw the risen Christ happened because of an appearance they had not expected, were reluctant to believe, and did not ever understand completely. They had not remembered his promise that he would rise from the dead. Even when people came and said, he is alive, they didn't believe it. Even after they had seen him, they could not completely understand it. But it was so powerful. One undeniable fact remains. They were totally changed by an appearance of the risen Christ who was very real. The risen Christ changed their lives. And the risen Christ can make your life and my life different too if we will let him. We must allow the risen Christ to change us. It is, it's possible to believe in the doctrine of the resurrection and not be affected by it at all. It is possible that the person who stands in the hour of worship on Sunday and confesses faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that same person can live a defeated and unbelieving life in the days of the week that follow. That person can be enslaved by pettiness, by lies, by lust, by selfish ambition, by materialism, by prejudice, by hatred, by compromise. So, there is a need not only for us to hear from those who experienced the risen Christ, but also for us to experience the risen Christ for ourselves. It's not enough to just read about it and hear about it. We must experience the risen Christ for ourselves. The needs that you and I have are not all that different from those to whom he appeared in the Bible. Our need to know that we are forgiven our need to be reassured, our need to be motivated, to be strengthened, to be renewed. These are the very needs, the the same needs to which Jesus always speaks in every age. The risen Christ is the same for us as he was for them. The very same. Did you notice uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when I read those verses that Paul said, Okay, Jesus appeared to Peter and then to 500 people at the same time and then to James and the other disciples and last of all, he appeared to me. Now you may not have have thought much about the time frame, but Paul did not seem to feel there was any basic difference in the Christ who appeared to him and the Christ who appeared to Peter even though years had gone by. We don't ever say this, but sometimes in the back of our minds, it's easy to think, well, maybe that was a different Jesus who was by the seashore. That was a different Christ who was dealing with Mary at the tomb. That was a different Jesus who met Paul on the road to Damascus. But Paul did not feel there was any difference. Maybe the purpose was different, a validation for them, encouragement and strength for us. Maybe even the method was different. Paul saw light and heard a voice. Peter saw 
a stranger cooking fish on the shore. Mary saw a gardener, the two walking on the road to Emmaus, saw someone, didn't recognize who it was for a while. But here's what the risen Christ does in every case. This is the bottom line. Everywhere death is, the risen Christ comes and brings life. Everywhere death is, the risen Christ comes and brings life. What Easter says is that the risen Christ comes to you and to me, not just in our physical world through the changing of the seasons and the beautiful colors of springtime, not just in God's word as it is preached and read, not just in the church as it meets to worship, but Christ actually comes to us with his living power and his living presence. He comes to all the places in our lives where death is, and he brings life. That's what he does. He comes to all the places in our lives where there is death, and he brings life. So my question for you is, where do you find death at work in you? Where do you find death at work in you? Where do you feel dead inside? Where do you feel dead in your relationships? Where do you feel dead in the work you do? The risen Christ wants to walk in right there, right there, and bring life. I think one of the permeating themes of Easter for me has been that there are more kinds of dying than physical. We've all suffered the death of loved ones. We know that physical death is real, but but there are more kinds of death and dying than physical. There is death to dreams, death to hope, death to integrity, death to relationships, death to love. Death to believing. The good news of Easter is that everywhere there is death, the risen Christ comes and brings life. This is what he does. So this is one of those days. This is one of those days in which you and I need to reach out to the living Christ and say, come. Lord Jesus, come. Come into these lives of ours, so filled with death so filled with dying. Come, Lord Jesus, come and bring life. Come to us in all the circumstances of our lives. When our hope has been crushed, when our routine feels empty, when we are down and out, come, Lord Jesus. Jesus comes into every circumstance of life, and he comes to every kind of person. It is true that he comes to people who love him, and that is a good thing. Mary Magdalene was overjoyed to see Jesus alive, not dead as she had thought. But he also comes to those who deny him. He comes to those who fight against him. He comes to those who want to take his job and be large and in charge. He comes to those who are paralyzed by fear. He comes to those who doubt him. There's some of you right now who might be saying, I wish more than anything in the world that I could believe that Christ is risen, that he's alive for me. Oh, the implications of that for my life. Well, 
He comes to you as he came to doubting Thomas. He's the same. He comes even to those who fight against him, as the Apostle Paul did. And he can take away from your life everything that is bringing death, everything that is destroying you, fear, anger, hatred, lust, greed, defensiveness, insecurity, all that devours you. That's how he brings life to us. He takes away things that bring death to us and gives us his life instead. So, for example, he says to me, John, you're a little bit frightened. Let me take away your fear. Through the years, you've accumulated people who have left you and others who don't like you. You've let that bother you. Let me take that away from you. Let me take away your insecurity and defensiveness and self-protection. Let me bring to you a sense of peace, a sense of boldness, a sense of love, a sense of forgiveness, a sense of openness, and a willingness to risk again. This is what I want at Easter, for the living Christ to come and take out of me everything that is deadly, deadly to myself and deadly to others. You see, this is the kind of thing that Christ is trying to do in your life. But sometimes we want to hold on to the very things that are killing us, and we just want to somehow have a good feeling that is unrelated to what is actually happening in our lives. And that is called denial. And it is powerful, it is blinding, and it is deadly. It always carries death with it. But Easter, uh, Easter has God saying again to you and to me, you still have another move. You still have another move. But the move is this. Take the move you have left and use it to embrace the living Christ and let him begin to dwell in you and bring into your life his life. Forgiveness, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, a real newness brought by the one who says, Behold, I am alive forevermore, and I am making everything new. And that includes you. Imagine your life transformed, given new hope and new purpose, by an encounter with the risen Christ. St. Francis of Assisi wrote a beautiful poem that many know. It starts with these words, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. If you've ever read his biography, you've been moved by this man, a man of aristocracy, a man of breeding, education, great wealth, a man who renounced everything and lived his whole life in humble service to others. Do you know why he did that? Do you know what precipitated that in his life? Let me tell you the story. Young, debonair, happy, not a care in the world, riding down the middle of a road on a great, beautiful horse one day, Francis of Assisi saw standing in the middle of the road in front of him a man whose skin was white with leprosy. And he was drawn to that man like a moth to the flame. He sat there on his horse uh, and looked down at this leper for a good long time. Finally, he got down off his horse 
went over and embraced the leper. He pulled the leper to himself. And then he took money from his bag, gave it to the leper, and got back on his horse. As he started to ride away, he looked back over his shoulder, and the leper was gone. He he was not standing there. Francis concluded that he had just met the risen Christ. That was his conclusion. And he was never the same after that. Now don't fuss with his conclusion. Argue with his life. He was different from that day on. Easter is when the church meets to celebrate the fact that we too can meet the risen Christ and our lives can be different from that day on. In the name of this Jesus, crucified for sinners, risen from the dead and alive to bring life to you and to me, I am pleading with each one of you to use the move you have left and move toward him. Make your move toward the risen Christ. And you know what you'll find? You will find that he is already moving toward you. And that he will move right into your life, bringing his life everywhere there is death in you. And you will never be the same. Amen? Amen. Lord, how we thank you that you are determined to continue to meet people on the roads of life, the different kinds of roads we walk, and you are there. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, that this will be a day of resurrection, of your life triumphing over the death that is in us. Forgive our sins. Give us hope where we have despair. Give us peace where we're in turmoil. Give us joy where we have a sense of doom. For you are Lord, Lord of all. Extend your hand, Lord. Extend your hand. Extend your hand to touch each person here with your power and your life. You who have conquered death. We give you the glory. And we give you the thanks that death will not have the last word, but you have the last word, and that word is life. Thank you. Thank you, in Jesus' name.